0: Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Mark Welling. Most of you know me. Uh, If you don't know me, you probably recognize me better this way. (laughs) That better have been my wife. (laughs) Um, uh, I would like to share my story with you. Uh, It was four years ago on March 31st that I came here to work thinking it would be just another ordinary day. Uh, We had just passed Palm Sunday and were anticipating Easter. I was dealing with a small headache, but it wasn't anything out of the norm. As the day went on, my head was hurting more and more. I decided I would find a quiet spot to lay down for a bit. uh, So I headed to our music library, which is behind the choir room. It's quiet and it's dark back there. As I was resting on the floor, the pain began to become unbearable, worse than any other headache that I'd ever had in the past. After some time, a voice in my head said, you need to get back to your office so you can call your wife to come and get you. I don't know how I managed to get back to my office. I don't even remember doing that, but I did make it to my office and I laid down on the floor. That is where my coworkers found me. Had I not made it back there, I would not be here today. Our facility staff quickly determined that I needed additional help and called an ambulance. There happened to be one parked right here in our front parking lot. How amazing is that? I was transported to St. Mary's Hospital where it was determined that I was suffering from a ruptured brain aneurysm and I needed surgery immediately. In God's complete faithfulness and provision, he provided that one of my surgeons was even someone from Calvary's family. My surgery lasted seven hours and my road to recovery was slow. I spent 21 days at St. Mary's and then was transferred to Mary Free Bed where I would spend another couple of weeks doing rehab as the left side of my body had become very weak and I was dealing with double vision. I was able to come home on May 1 and continue rehab three days a week at a facility near my house. After a couple of weeks, my therapist was concerned that something was still not right. My wife took me to the doctor, who then sent me to the hospital for a scan. It showed that the fluid on my brain was not draining correctly, so I was going to need a shunt. I was disappointed because it felt like I was going backwards instead of getting better. After another surgery, recovery, and more therapy, things started to look up. I was able to come back to work part-time and was slowly getting stronger and stronger. Four years later, I can say with complete confidence that God has done a miracle in my life. Through all the different unexpected situations, the amazing medical staff, and the prayers of his people. He saved me. He did even a couple of unexpected things for me. I no longer get migraine headaches. My vision has actually improved. Uh, And I actually, I have no memory of what I had endured over those two months. Uh, Coming up on my fourth anniversary, I was thinking about something I could do to help me not forget what God had done. That led me to an idea that was uh, not a little, a lot out of my normal box. My Psalm through this experience given to me by Pastor Jim has been Psalm 118. So two weeks ago, I had that tattooed on my arm. It also has the first part of verse 17, which says, I will not die, but live. The second half of the verse says, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. So that is what I'm doing today and will do anytime someone asks me about what is on my arm. It is no coincidence that I'm up here today. I am here to proclaim about this amazing God who saved my
1: life. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you I want to share with you an event that has helped drive this verse home for Ruth and I and our whole family. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Last September, Ruth and I lost our grandson, Bennett, to a trisomy 13 genetic defect at 34 weeks. This is a genetic abnormality where there are three chromosomes on the 13th gene instead of two. Our youngest son, Brent, and his wife, Louisa, live in Colorado. We were praying since the unexpected diagnosis at 20 weeks that baby Bennett would be the exception to this medical condition, which is almost always fatal. The medical community strongly encouraged them to end the pregnancy because of its very low survival rate. They responded that this is not our choice as God is the author of all life. In light of that decision, the medical care that they received was outstanding because many of the younger doctors had never seen a trisomy pregnancy carried to full term. Ruth and I saw and heard the heartbeat at several ultrasounds. With the 3D technology today, you can identify body parts in living color and hear the thumping of the heart as the technician scans the mother's stomach. Our earnest prayers were answered, but in a very different way than we were praying for. On September 6th, at 34 weeks, Bennett's heart stopped. We immediately flew to Colorado and were present for the birth on September 7th. In the hospital, after Bennett was stillborn, one of the many events that happened to demonstrate this wide love of Christ Was this incredible presence of Jesus in the room? To be present at the intersection of life and death and eternity was like standing on holy ground. There really aren't words to describe God's presence. Well, after a lot of tears and hugging and prayers and a time of communion, one of their friends spontaneously started to sing. We sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness, How Great Thou Art, and several other songs. And then the last song, Jesus Loves the Little Children. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Two weeks later, Brent and I were digging a grave in the back of our property to put Bennett's cremated remains next to a beautiful sugar maple tree. Ruth and I and our family are beginning to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ.
2: How do you reconcile these two stories? On one hand we have a valued member of our staff who the Lord miraculously intervened and rescued his life. He stands up here and gives praise to God for doing that. On the other hand you have one of our elders who prayed just as earnestly, just as faithfully And in his own words, God answered, but in a very different way than he, Ruth, and everybody else wanted him to answer. How is it that God heals some, miraculously intervenes, but in others, he doesn't? There's some possible explanations the world might tell you. One, Maybe God's got some favorites. Maybe God just loved Mark better than he loved Dave. Maybe there was something wrong for those of us who don't experience that healing, that miraculous intervention. Maybe we don't have enough faith. Maybe there's some sin in our life. It's a possibility. Maybe life's just random. There's no rhyme, there's no reason. It just happens. We have to admit that all three of those are logical possibilities, but the Bible in the strongest possible terms condemns all three of those choices. God does not play favorites. (laughs) The unambiguous testimony of Scripture is that he loves each and every one of us exactly the same and he does not treat one better than the other. Different, but he does not love one of us more than another. Likewise, while it's true that faith and sin can play some role And what goes on in our lives, the Bible says they are not ultimately determinative on the issues of life and death. God is. And furthermore, although life does appear to us to be random, it is most certainly not. God is in control of all things. So there must be a fourth option. There must be another way to reconcile Mark's story and Dave's story. I believe that there is. And in just a minute, we're going to look in the book of Isaiah at that fourth option. Before we do, I'm going to ask that the Lord guide us uh, through this time. So would you bow your heads as I pray? Father in heaven, we have heard testimonies of your faithfulness one seemingly had a happy ending and the other seemingly a sad ending. Lord, who can understand what's going on in this situation? Lord, how can we, your people, come to grips with this? This is perhaps one of the most vexing questions, Lord, that we face. Why is it, Father, that some experience miraculous intervention, And it seems as if, Lord, you come from heaven and stand in the midst and do all that is necessary to bring about more than we could ask for or imagine. And in other cases, Lord, it feels like you're more silent. Lord, each one of us knows the feeling of praying for something and just not having you answer the way we want. Lord, give us understanding. You've promised that you would send your spirit to guide us into all truth. Help us to understand, Jesus, it's no accident that you named this spirit the Comforter. And so today, Lord, we need comfort. We need encouragement. We need help. Lord, we need help to navigate our way through these experiences. So God, would you take this text in Isaiah and would you use it to this purpose today? You said your word will not return void, but accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And so, Lord, we ask, as best I can tell, this is the purpose for which you want to send us this message today. Open our eyes, unstop our ears. That is what Isaiah is about. Lord, do this for us that we might see you. God, we come to you not from a position of demanding that you explain yourself to us as if somehow we are your judge, but we come as your children, confused, confused, and in need of help. Please, Lord, you never turn away those who ask for wisdom and those who seek understanding. Lord, would you give that to us because you're gracious and merciful by your spirit, through your word, for the glory of Jesus who suffered for us. We ask this in his name. Amen. I invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38. If you need a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you. In the church Bibles, it's page 585. 585. Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah 38, I'll begin reading in verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back the 10 steps it has gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So the sunlight went back the 10 steps it had gone down. Here we have a remarkable story of God's intervention on Hezekiah's behalf. Let me make a few observations that come from this story. Number one, in verse one, we see that God holds the power of life and death. God is the one who says Hezekiah is going to die. It's his decision. We sometimes think that it's illness, or age, or that death comes at the hand of some other human, but in reality, God is the one who holds the power of life and death. I think it's so beautiful. As Dave shared about his son, Brent, his willingness to say, the Lord is the one who decides, the Lord is the one who decides about life and death. That is what Isaiah 38 is affirming. God is in charge of our life and our death. Our lives are a gift from the Lord. But the length of our days are written down in a book before even one of them comes to be. God and God alone decides about life and death secondly in verse 3 Hezekiah prays earnestly and God hears and responds I said at the beginning that faith and sin are not ultimately determinative of issues of life and death but please don't hear that to think that then therefore prayer has nothing to do with anything Hezekiah prays and God chooses to respond to that prayer. God listens to the prayers of his people. I wish I could tell you, actually I don't, that whatever we pray for we would get. The reason I don't wish for that is because we don't even know what's in our best interest. I would like to tell you whatever you pray for you will get, I cannot say that to you. But what I can say to you is when you pray God hears. And whenever possible, he gives us what we're asking for. So please don't miss the fact that just because God doesn't give us everything we ask for, that we should stop asking. And Hezekiah faithfully, passionately, earnestly prays. And the Lord responds with healing. The third thing, though, we should note is verses five and six. God's response is he gives 15 more years of life. Praise the Lord, that's a wonderful miracle, but we should also notice it's a very specific amount of time. And at the end of those 15 years, Hezekiah may have prayed again for more life, for another healing, and did not receive it. Which tells us a little clue, why do some receive miraculous healings and others not? We begin to get a clue that healing is not ultimately the goal. If it was the goal, then God would have to keep healing Hezekiah over and over and over again. And there is no one who's experienced miraculous healing once, who's had it happen again and again and again and again. No one has been given 15 years and another 15 years and another 15 years and another 15 years. And And in these verses, we begin to get a glimpse that healing is not the goal. It's a means to an end. We also get that because verse 6 is about God delivering the city of Jerusalem from the king of Assyria. What's going on here? God says, the healing I'm going to give to you, Hezekiah, is about a bigger picture of who I am as a saving, rescuing, delivering God. The fourth thing to observe, verses seven and eight, God gives to Hezekiah a sign a sign that he will be healed. I'm not unaware that many of us here in this room have perhaps, like Hezekiah, received a terminal diagnosis. I'm not unaware that perhaps even this week some received news of cancer or of a loved one who's going through something like this. It may not even be something physical. It may be something like we have received a death sentence in our marriage or in our finances or at work or in relationships. And when all of that happens, there may be a sense in which the Spirit is speaking to our hearts saying, Don't be afraid, just believe that God wants to come and do something great. But it's hard to believe. And so God does for Hezekiah the same things he does for us. He gives us encouragement. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And so he gives him a sign to help him continue to believe. Now, if all we had were these eight verses, we would have a beautiful healing story. We would close our Bibles and we'd say, what a good God that he chooses to heal like he did in this case of Hezekiah. But thanks be to God, we have more than these eight verses. We actually have something really unique that follows. What we have is a psalm that Hezekiah himself wrote during this period. And it gives us insight and understanding into what was going on in his heart when he received this death sentence from the Lord and what it allows us to do today is to give voice to our own emotions our own struggles you heard Dave share his story there's pain there's still pain and the beautiful thing about this psalm is it gives words to our pain so what I'd like to do the first half of the psalm verses 10 to 14 describe the emotions that we feel, you and I, when we pray earnestly for something and don't receive it, when we get that news of cancer, when we have the loved one pass away, when our grandbaby isn't healed. And I want us just for a minute to live in these emotions that Hezekiah shares with us. Verse 10. I said, in the prime of my life, Must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years? The first emotion is that feeling of being robbed. We can know theologically and intellectually that our lives belong to God, but there's nothing else that feels like it belongs to us more than our lives. And when they're taken from us, when we get that sentence, it feels like we've been robbed. Something has been stolen from us. When our soulmate goes home to be with the Lord, it feels like we've been robbed. When our child that we have been longing and praying for isn't miraculously healed, it feels like the most precious thing has been stolen from us. When we receive that diagnosis of that terminal illness, It feels like the most valuable thing we have, life, has been ripped from our fingers. Verse 11. I said, I will not again see the Lord himself in the land of the living. No longer will I look on my fellow man or be with those who now dwell in this world. And the second emotion here is the fear of missing out. that horrifying feeling that we've received a terminal diagnosis but life is going to continue and we ask those questions will my spouse remarry will my grandkids remember me will anybody finish the work that I was doing we ask those questions what would this child have grown up to be Would I have gotten married? How would I have enjoyed my retirement years? This fear that life is going to continue to go on and we will be leaving it. The best analogy that I could think of is like the youngest child who has to go to bed earlier than everybody else. And he walks up the stairs. The laughter, the games, the movie, they continue. And silently he goes upstairs by himself to go down to bed. It's that fear that life is continuing, but ours is not. Verses 12 and 13. Like a shepherd's tent, my house has been pulled down and taken from me. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life and he has cut me off from the loom. Day and night, you made an end of me. I waited patiently till dawn, but like a lion, he broke all my bones. Day and night, you made an end of me. Who did these things? God. And this third emotion, you can hear it. It's disappointment with God. God's the one that's done this. Hezekiah said, you pulled down my tent. My life on the loom, God, you cut the string. And then just in the most painful possible way, I waited, I waited for you, Lord, to come and rescue me. And you were the lion that broke my bones. You can feel almost a sense of betrayal. God, you did this to me. You were the one. You were my hope. I waited for you. I prayed. I earnestly hoped. And in the end, it's you. You chose to end my life. You chose to take my spouse. You chose to do this. And there's no escaping the disappointment that God did not choose to intervene. And then the final emotion, if you can call it an emotion. Verse 14. I cried like a swift or thrush. I moaned like a morning dove. My eyes grew weak as I looked to the heavens. I am being threatened. Lord, come to my aid. The last emotion, if you can call it that, is simply sheer weariness. Just the tiredness. Life is ebbing away. We've pleaded. We've begged. We've prayed. We've done everything that we could do and we're simply exhausted. Now in just a minute, we're going to go on and look at what Hezekiah has to say about his miraculous healing. But before we do, I want us to be aware that every single one of us in this room have had somebody we prayed to be healed who wasn't. That these emotions, the emotion of being robbed, the emotion of missing out, the feeling of disappointment with God, the sheer weariness of death, that these are real emotions. And what I wanna tell each one of us this morning, the spirit is the one who wrote these words, meaning God himself is giving validity to your emotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't bury them, don't be afraid of them, don't deny them, it's okay. It's okay to feel robbed. It's okay to think that death is not the way it's supposed to work. It's okay to feel like you're missing out. It's okay to feel disappointed with God. And it's okay to be exhausted. I'm so thankful for these five verses that the Spirit says, Let me give words to what's going on in your soul. And just for a minute before we move on, I just want to let us sit in the emotions that even when there are miraculous healings, every one of us will know the emotions of God not intervening when we wanted him to. It's okay to lament. It's okay to be sad. And I'm so grateful for a God who gives words to the sorrows of our heart and says, When you can't speak, let me speak for you. When you can't name the pain, let me name it for you. He does understand. And if you don't get the miraculous intervention, please at least get these verses. Where God says, come. You can feel this way, it's okay. Hezekiah does get a miraculous intervention from God. And so in verses 15 to 19... He shows us how to respond when God does do something really powerful. Verse 15, what can I say? He has spoken to me and he himself has done this. I will walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of my soul. Now I want you to watch very carefully to what's going on here. In order to understand this verse, look back with me at verse 9. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And what's the next word? After his illness and recovery. Go back to verse 15. I will walk humbly all my years because of this anguish. He doesn't say because of that anguish. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hezekiah still feels anguish even after the miraculous healing. Why? We sometimes call this survivor's guilt. The anguish of having gone through this and God rescuing, but knowing there are so many others who didn't get rescued. There's anguish there. There can be anguish with having that close of a brush with death. Yes, you were rescued, but your mortality has been revealed. Hezekiah knows it's coming again. In 15 years' time, the death sentence will come again and there will not be healing, and there's still anguish. There can be the anguish of yes, chemo and radiation. Thank you, Jesus. What a blessing. But they've left scars, they've left wounds. (laughs) My body is simply not the same. You've come face to face with death. And it's amazing to me that Hezekiah is saying, even after the healing, there's still anguish. He also says, I'll walk humbly all my years. And then verses 16 and 17 follow up on that. Lord, by such things people live, and my spirit finds life in them too. You restored me to health and let me live. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. Here Hezekiah is saying something that I've said that I know I've heard so many of you say. I wouldn't trade that suffering for anything in the world. I'd never go through it again. But I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. That's what Hezekiah is saying. And this again is another clue that healing is not the goal. Hezekiah is realizing, yes, I got healed. Others didn't, but the goal was not healing. The goal is transformation. And he realizes that his brush with death brought him to his knees and humbled him. And it's beginning to transform his life. Which is why he says, oh, thank you, God, for that suffering. I don't want to do it again, but thank you for what it's done in me. We know this, don't we? We know what it's like to see God use something so difficult, so hard to transform us. Listen closely to what Dave said in that testimony to Jesus present in that room as he took that baby boy to heaven. The power of that. Nobody ever wants to go through that. But there is a humility that comes from knowing that God controls life and death. Verse 18, for the grave cannot praise you, death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. Hezekiah says, in your love you kept me. In your faithfulness you rescued me. Miraculous interventions by God are expressions of his love and faithfulness. And it's good to praise him for those. The problem is, is we logically think if God was loving, he would heal everyone. That's not the case. But please don't miss the fact that he does heal some. And those healings are expressions of his love and faithfulness. He's loving and faithful in all situations and Hezekiah recognizes that his healing was a manifestation of God's faithfulness and love and he praises him for it. It's good to praise the Lord for healing. It's good to praise the Lord for interventions. And then verse 19, the living, the living they praise you as I am doing today. Parents tell their children about your faithfulness. On the fourth observation here is that Hezekiah tells his story. He tells his story, even though he knows there are lots of people in Judah who were not healed of their death sentence. He says, this is my chance to praise God. They have their stories. This is my story. And I'll tell my children and I'll tell you so that people sitting in Grand Rapids, Michigan in 2019 have a testimony of God's love and faithfulness in Hezekiah's life. This brings us to the final verse in the psalm, the last three verses of the chapter, and the end of the matter. And this is the crux. This is where it all comes together. Verse 20 The Lord will save me, and we will sing with stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. Isaiah had said, prepare a poultice of figs and apply it to the boil and he will recover. Because Hezekiah had asked, what will be the sign that I will go up to the temple of the Lord? Now, if you, like me, read those verses and think, what in the world is this going? I read those so many times and thought, these she should be earlier in the story. This seems like it's part of the story. Like, okay, Hezekiah gets sick. Isaiah says, prepare a poultice, put it on the boil, you're going to recover, and this will be the sign. But when you read it very carefully, you realize, and verse 20 is the key, look again what it says. The Lord will save me. Wait a second, when was this psalm written? After his miraculous recovery, which means he's not talking about his illness. That was the aha moment for me, which means the temple he's talking about is not the temple in Jerusalem. It's the temple in heaven. And the sign that he will go to the temple is not about Hezekiah going to a building on earth. Hezekiah had asked, What is the sign that God will not ultimately abandon me to the grave, but will give me eternal life? And not just me, but all those who have faith in him. And Hezekiah says, The sign is that you're going to be healed. And here is the answer to the question. Why does God not heal everyone, but just some? Because healing is not the goal. It's a means. Mm -hmm. Another way to say it is healing is a sign. A sign of what? A sign of salvation. Mm -hmm. A sign of resurrection. A sign that every single person who does put their faith in Jesus will be raised from the dead and will be with God and all their loved ones who have faith in Jesus for all of eternity. And God says, the reason I don't heal everybody is that's not the goal. The goal is not to avoid death. The goal is to go safely through death. But it's hard to believe that we're going to be raised from the dead. And so what God says is every so often what I'm gonna do is give a miraculous healing to certain individuals at certain times so that you and I know he does indeed hold the power of life and death. And that Hezekiah story and the miraculous healing stories that Jesus did and the miraculous healing stories that we have throughout church history, the miraculous healing story that Mark Welling shared with us, the miraculous healing story that many in the congregation have experienced, those are all signs. Signs of what? That your little grandbaby's in heaven. You don't have to doubt You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid that your spouse who died in the Lord is gone forever. You don't have to be afraid that your loved one, you don't have to be afraid that that terminal diagnosis, that the darkness you're about to face is going to stay darkness. God will not abandon you to the grave. How do I know that? Because for all time he has been healing people as signs that he will raise you from the dead. The reason not everyone gets healed is because God can't wait to bring us into our eternal home. And that the healings that happen now are just testimonies testimonies that you and I will live forever with God and that death will not win. So, what should we do with this teaching? Well, first, if you're here and you're not yet a believer in Jesus, I'm here to tell you the truth of the matter is God sent his son Jesus to live as a human among us, to do amazing things that only God could do, to heal people, to set people free from the power of the evil one, that this same Jesus was crucified for your sins and for mine. He was buried, on the third day rose again, He has ascended to the right hand of the Father on high where he has been proclaimed Lord over all things. This same Jesus will return and he will judge all people and that all who place their faith in Jesus will receive from God forgiveness of sins and eternal life. How do I know that story is true? Hezekiah's healing. Mark Welling's healing. The emotional, spiritual and relational healing that the Ellises have received. This is the proof. God holds the power of life and death, and what he's offering to you this morning is life. He wants you to live. And so please, hear the offer. If you accept, you'll receive eternal life. And whether you have 15 minutes or 15 years to live, the promise of God is he will raise you from the dead and death will not win. Second, if you're here and you have an experience like Mark Wellings, if you prayed and God miraculously intervened, whether through medical means or not through medical means, if God, if you can say, God rescued me, what this means is you've got to tell your story. You have to tell your story. If the goal is healing, I get why you and I would not want to tell our stories because we're going to make somebody else feel bad. If the goal is healing, then our story simply tells them that God likes us and not them. But the goal is not healing. The goal is that your healing is a sign that resurrection is coming to them. If you don't tell the story, where's the sign? This is why it's so powerful that Dave began with Ephesians 3. One father who loves all of us. And when my father heals Mark Welling, that tells me that I'm not going to stay in the grave. And if Mark doesn't tell that story, well, there goes my sign. And the reason why God put Mark and Dave on the platform together is their stories go together. Dave and Ruth need to know that baby is going to be, has been raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. If Mark doesn't tell that story, there goes one of those signs. That leads us to the third point. What if you are in the situation of Dave and Ruth where you prayed for God to miraculously intervene and he hasn't or didn't? You still need to tell your story. Why? Because if the goal was simply a God who is a genie that heals us whenever we want him healed, well, then you can't tell your story. It's an indictment against God. But if our God is the God who raises people from the dead, Amen. Mm-hmm. if our God is the one who meets us in the midst of suffering, There are things about your story that testify to the reality of this God that he will take us safely through death to the other side. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up and said, our God can save us, but if he doesn't, we're still gonna worship him. And every one of us gets a chance to testify to a God who didn't do exactly what we wanted him to do but we can still testify he's a good God and he's worth believing. And one more thing. For those who have received that terminal diagnosis, whose spouse passed away, whose grandbaby wasn't raised from the dead, in addition to the spirit-empowered feelings of being robbed, of missing out, of being disappointed and being weary, we can add one more feeling, and that's hope. And this passage tells us, the Lord will save me, and we will sing with stringed instruments. That one day, we will be together in a place where there is no crying and there is no pain, where there is no suffering and there is no difficulty, we will see those babies who died young, who do not end up missing out because God has eternal life for them. We will see those loved ones that we longed desperately to get to have more time with in this life that God says, I have an infinite amount of time for you to be with them. And we'll be be in a place where the Lord has raised us from the dead and has given us eternal life. Death does not win. Jesus does. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, Seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.